Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of the Great Overgift podcast. Let me first start out by introducing myself. My name is Justin Burns. I am a strength and conditioning coach based here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And um, and what I wanted to do and what I want to set up here with this podcast is to is to talk a little bit about, of course, training and, and modalities and philosophies and principles and all that kind of good stuff, but also uh, sport in general and how we can increase or at least try to increase the the overall um, passion for for sport again here in Canada, at least. I know it's huge in other places, and maybe it's just localized for where I am in terms of sport not being as big as it used to be. Um, only reason I say that is because I can I can see a diminishing the, the diminishing numbers and and even attitudes when it comes to sports uh, nowadays because I do coach sports specific stuff as well. But anyways, let me get back to a little bit more of on my background. Um, I have a background in, in football. I played football for about ten years. Um, making it uh, to the collegiate level, and then and then uh, stopping and 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 moving into the strength conditioning um, realm of things. Uh, I also have a career in strength sports, including strongman and powerlifting, holding a number of records in a couple of different federations for the squat deadlift my bench has never been very good uh so that's i've never i've never gotten to hit a record in that um i did at one point hold uh hold the world record for my weight class in the strict curl which is not really a it's not really a movement that's done in every single federation but i thought it was fun anyways um but anyways uh for this first episode i wanted to talk a little bit about what I believe and, and not necessarily believe, but what, what my kind of training philosophy is and what I believe works uh, for my athletes specifically. Now I'm not in a massive facility and I don't have to train uh, groups of 20 at a time. So I, I, I'm, I have the luxury, I wouldn't say luxury. It's just, I'm a small, I run a smaller operation. Um, but I am able to really utilize um, certain philosophies without having to make it so simple that 20 people can follow it at one time. Uh, and I believe that that is, uh, that is one of the issues when it comes to strength conditioning of football teams specifically. Not only because there's a variety of different positions on the team and every single position requires a different style of training because uh, each position requires a different athlete in terms of like offensive linemen need to be this in my opinion they need to be the strongest on the team which that's a whole other issue I can get into because a lot of the times they're not the strongest on the team um, same with the defensive linemen and uh, you're not really gonna train uh, or you're not really gonna see the same style of training from an offensive lineman uh, compared to like a wide receiver or a defensive back. Um, the strength portions can be the same, but when you're talking about work capacity and all this, all these other things, it's just different. So 
uh, I'm lucky enough to to utilize uh, what I believe is a really good. Again, you guys will probably d- disagree, but I utilize the conjugate a conjugate a form of conjugate or or concurrent training, if you will, um, focusing in on uh, increasing maximal strength, but at the same time um, trying to increase the rate of force development. Um, on other days, so two dynamic, two two max effort days and two dynamic effort days. One one uh, of each of lower body, one of each of upper body, but at the same time, learning and trying to push up work capacity as much as possible through GPP. Uh, really easy um, aerobic training, and overall, just trying to bulletproof the body from possible injury now uh in this specific talk uh in this specific episode of the podcast i'd like to talk about um the equation of of force so what that equation is is force equals mass times acceleration acceleration so in our case mass would be the load on the bar um or whatever implement you're using and a uh, acceleration would be the speed in which you're moving that um, that mass. Um, if anybody out there is uh, good at mathematics, you know if you want to increase the number on of the of the if you want to increase f, you're going to have to work both sides of that equation, um, and you're going to have to increase both sides of that equation in order to really optimize that number. So, for example. A lot of athletes and coaches out there don't necessarily believe in the max effort method because they think it's too dangerous. But the the studies show that you're more likely to get injured doing a multiple rep set than doing one single rep. Of course, there is there is the the odd time where you 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 maybe your your form is not correct or something like that. This would probably happen more often on a movement that you've never done before. So the argument uh, or what I would say to solve that situation would be to at least give yourself a week or you can even give yourself three weeks in a movement just to learn it uh, properly. And then on that third week, really hit a full on max effort. You can go five rep max, three rep max, and then a, uh, one rep max, and I know all a lot of people out there with the uh, with a conjugate or west side purist mindset would believe that only the only way that you can do max effort is through doing one rep max because that's a true max and that's true max effort. And I would tend to agree, but at the same time, if you're dealing with athletes who have never done a, a certain movement before, you don't want to throw them under complete maximal loads when they've never really trained that movement pattern they've under they understand that like maybe it's a new bar that they've never used before maybe it's a new box height they've never done or maybe it's a whatever the case may be what maybe it's a new deadlift variation they've never done before or or any of those kinds of things so uh so when you're hitting max effort or when you're trying to to increase the m in that equation you really want to learn how to strain against weight that's the point of the max effort method it's not necessarily the number of course the number matters but you're changing the your 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 you're changing your training stimulus hopefully every week if you, if you have athletes who are 
um, athletic enough to be strong in all positions or all variations uh, that you can come up with. Your the point is to strain against the weight. That's the point of the max effort method. I've said that as I just said. So, say you have three bars or four bars that you rotate through, and you change box heights, and you do different deadlift variations or good mornings or whatever the case may be. Um, if you're doing squatting, if you're squatting, and the first week you're doing a straight bar box squat to a um, moderate height, so just below just below parallel, um, and you get a certain number on that, and you strain against it. But then, the next week you do a safety squat bar squat to the same height, but the weight the the your your number is lower. That's a good thing. That means you're 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 straining against a different load because the stimulus is different. That's how you stay away from injury. You can't you can't max out on the same stimulus two weeks in a row. Well, you can, but you're not going to hit a new new max, or you're not going to hit a new personal record, if you will. So so you're always trying to change it, it up on your body because you want to be able to continuously move through um, your program without hitting any kind of adaptation or the law of accommodation. Um, which is the enemy of all athletes and all coaches out there trying to develop or continue to progress your athlete. So the point I'm trying to get to here when it comes to your max effort training is that you need to learn and be creative when you're, when you're going through max effort, you have to be willing to come up with new exercises. Uh, It all depends on, it all depends on what your facility has for equipment. I know that sounds ridiculous. This is coming from me who uh, I've always been. Uh, you don't need a million pieces of equipment in order to get strong. And I believe that's true also. Like this will work if you, this type of training will work if you are creative. You can go, you can cycle through um, squatting. There's different types of squats. You can use, you can go high bar squat, low bar squat. I mean, if you just have a straight bar, high bar squat, low bar squat, front squat. Then you, on your deadlift, you can go, you can go sumo, conventional, then a rack pull or, or, or a deficit pull. And then good mornings, you can go uh, regular good morning, wide stance good morning. You can always change it. You can always pick six or seven movements and rotate through them and, and, and figure it out. You don't necessarily need to have a safety squat bar, a buffalo bar, a straight bar, uh, a trap bar, um, and any other type of bar. Um, But if you do have access to all those things, then that just increases your library of max effort movements, which is going to really enhance your athlete's ability to keep cycling through and never hit a true, uh, never hit accommodation. Um, so anyways, back to what I was trying to say, when you're, when you're hitting a max effort or when you're trying to increase your maximal strength, there's a couple of things that are really important to understand and really beneficial for your athletes. Number one, increased strength is going to lower 
your um, RPE. So what I mean by that is that if you take a, a guy who can bench press, who can only bench press 315, he's not going to be able to bench uh, bench 225 for uh, anywhere close to what a person who can bench um, 405 or 500 for 225 for reps. It's just not going to happen. Just because the 225 for the, the for the guy who can bench press 500 feels like 50% almost, less than 50%, oh, almost 40%. It, and then the, for the guy or girl who can bench 315, the 225 is significantly harder because it's a higher percentage. So when you're increasing your your absolute strength, you are going to be lowering your RPE. So increase your strength, lower your RPE. So your rate of perceived exertion will go down the stronger you get. Um, I was watching, I was watching a talk. Um, I was watching a talk from Bill Kramer, who's one of the authors of the book called uh, Science and Practice of Strength Training, which if you haven't read yet, you need to read because all the data and all the studies and all the the stuff I'm talking about is in that book. It's how you train. That's how you should be training. A lot of people coin, I'm going on a tangent here, but a lot of people coin the conjugate method as Louis Simmons method. And, and they all play always, and don't get me wrong, Louis is the one who brought it to the forefront, but if he's also the first person to tell you that he didn't come up with this stuff. This isn't his stuff. He's just utilized it in a way that has improved his athletes on the platform. And he, he'll be the first person to say, I didn't make this stuff up. I just read the books and I did what they said. And, and it's, a, it's a little frustrating to see people chirp him and stuff just because the, 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 the rules behind the sports that the sport that he play that he not plays, but the study coaches kind of determine how his athletes, uh, how his athletes compete. It's not his athletes fault that the, the Federation itself are, are lax on are lax on squat height some of them when it comes to equip powerlifting or, or or any of that sort. It's not his fault. It's not the athlete's fault either. It's the federations themselves. Anyways, coming back to what I'm talking about, if you can, like I said, if you can increase your absolute strength, you can do more things. Your, your body's going to be willing to or be able to work uh in a, in a state that they're, that it's not going to get injured. Um, it dec- like, I, as I just said, it decreases your, it decreases your chance of injury. Uh, a lot of times people in the real world, they go around and they do things, they pick stuff up, they go and work at a, they go and work at a place, uh, a, like a manual labor job, but they've never done any kind of strength training at all. Now, if you've done, if you've done manual labor work since you were a kid, that's not that big of a deal because you've been pulling and throwing and pushing stuff and doing all this stuff since you were young. So you're just used to it. You've given yourself uh, a base of training, but if you just go uh, and never done any forms of strength training, and now you're going to go work at a construction site and try to pick up bags of concrete, and you're going to try to carry them upstairs, and you're going to try to do all this stuff, and you've never 
done any form of training before, you're talking about moving weight that you've never moved before. You're talking about probably hitting just sub-maximal weights if you're talking about load load specific poundages. If you go to carry a 66-pound bag uh, of concrete up flights of stairs when you can barely you barely struggle to get up flights of stairs on your own, you're asking for an injury. So wouldn't it make sense that if you increased your absolute strength or your strength, then that would that task is going to be simpler or easier? Um, and and bringing that back into bringing it back into strength and conditioning, uh, if you if you take a bunch of endurance athletes, this is another interesting point that Bill Kramer talked about in the talk that I was watching. A lot of endurance athletes don't strength train and then they end up getting hurt because their muscles aren't necessarily tasked or prepared for the impact and pounding of a marathon or any of that sort. Or they could be extremely good endurance athletes, but they're missing an aspect of their athleticism. What What's interesting is they took a group of endurance, highly trained endurance athletes, made them uh, hit uh, five rep maxes for like a few weeks to see if they could destroy their endurance capacity. That was the the studies. They, they thought that if they were to put them through a cycle of training where they didn't run, but they just did heavy five rep max training uh, for for weeks on end, that their endurance capacity would drop and like they would their their times would go go to shit and then they wouldn't be able to do anything so they go through this and then they go and test their i think it was 10k times and the 10k times improved they didn't run they just got stronger and their 10k times improved your sh- strength training will have very little effect on your endurance or your work capacity when it comes to endurance training. That's not me saying that. That's a study that was done. Um, so increasing your max strength, your overall, st- your absolute strength is is going to, A, increase your flexibility to an extent, depending on what kind of box squatting you're doing or what kind of training you're doing. Um, increase your bone density. And we all know that you look at some, you can always tell when someone's been lifting weights when they're older because they don't look like they're old. They look like they're well put together. Their uh, their 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 structure is good. You can tell that they they're not like feel like they're gonna break when they walk around. So increasing your uh, doing absolute strength or maximal strength maximal effort training is going to increase your bone density, and as I just said, it will decrease your likelihood of injury. Um, It's uh, and when it comes when, when you talk about bringing it down to the muscular level, there's no better uh, method of strength training to increase inter and intra muscular coordination. So what I mean by that is it recruits the most amount of motor units. And if you know anything about anatomy, motor units are what's used to 
contract the muscle or all the muscle fibers. Um, if you're doing if you're doing submaximal training, only a few motor units are being activated. But when you go when you go to maximal effort, all or major all or the majority of motor units will be activated because they need to be activated in order to accomplish the lift because they need the power of all your muscles. So if you can constantly turn on those motor units, wouldn't it make sense that when you go to do something else that, hey, they're awake now, they, they understand that they have a job to do uh, and, and they will increase your, 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 your muscles ability to contract in other things. Um, I can go on talking about maximal effort training and, and I will in, in other podcasts, but I just want to talk about this equation. I'll move on. I'm going to move on to the, the A part, the acceleration part of the equation. So you've done all your, your maximal effort training, maximal effort training, and now you're, you're really strong and it doesn't really work to increase force if you can't move the weight faster you if you can't if you can't produce that 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 load or increase that um sorry if you can't increase that uh the rate in which you produce the force um against that load now a lot of people will say you can't move a heavyweight slow because it's just impossible and that's true you can't move a heavyweight slow because if you do you're going to get buckled and you're going to get killed but if we're going to talk about um, increasing your dynamic effort or your what, what would be considered your dynamic effort, uh, it's important to know that um, that making your maximum effort training useful, you need to be able to learn to move fast. Because if you can't, you're going. It's it's just you're going to be doing. You're not going to be able to move quick during your athletics. So you have to train both sides of the equation. So when you are working on your dynamic effort method stuff, that's, that's where your hard work gets done. That's it's, it's people don't, people think, Oh, it's submaximal. It's submaximal effort. I don't need to work or train as hard, but anybody out there who's ever done true dynamic effort method knows that it's almost two times harder than your maximal effort method. You're not trying, you're trying to accomplish high amounts of volume in a short period of time. You're not just going, doing three reps and then resting for three minutes or two or five minutes or whatever the case may be. You are doing 10 to 12 sets of two, depending on how you're structuring your program. You could do it six sets of four. You can go five sets of six sets of four, six sets of four, five sets of four. Um, or you can go 12 sets of two, 12 sets of two, 10 sets of two in three week waves if you were to do it that way. But it's, it's 12 to 10, 10 to 12 sets of two on your lower body day or not eight to nine sets of three on your upper body day. So it's 10 to 12 sets of two that should be done within 13 minutes. I only say 13 minutes because you're going to give yourself a minute worth of time to, for the accumulation of all those two reps, but you're going to give yourself a minute between each set 
and that's it. Even if you're doing six sets of four, guess what? You're giving yourself one minute between. So then you're having, you're getting done in seven minutes. That's a lot of volume to get through in a short period of time. So for example, if you are using no band, say I'm not even talking about that, uh, accommodating resistance yet, I'll get to that. But let's just say you're, you're going through the pr prescribed percentages of 70, sorry, 75, 80, and 85%. But you're, you're uh, just for math's sake, say you're, um, say you're, uh, you're using your bar weight is 200 pounds or your max, your max effort. Yeah. So your bar weight is 200 pounds. Okay. So you got to do 12 sets of two. That's 24 reps, right? So that's 24 reps. So that's, um, that's 24 reps of 200 pounds that you have to get through in 12 minutes. That is probably more load than you are ever used to or have ever done. That is 2,800 pounds of volume in less than 15 minutes. How many people can do that in a weight room? Oh, everyone can do it, but how many people are doing it? Not very much. Um, not to mention on your lower body day, you'll actually throw in a deadlift on top of it. You won't be doing the same amount. You can probably do 10 singles, 10 doubles, you 10, six doubles, 10 singles, whatever the case may be. Again, it depends on, it all depends on the athlete, but then you throw that on top of that. And then you got all your accessory movements and your volume is extremely high on your dynamic effort days. Uh, and, and another aspect of this that I didn't even talk about when you're trying to increase your work capacity is that you're not trying to, you're not, ex when you add more stuff into your training, you're not making the workout longer. You're condensing your workout. You're, you're trying to get everything done in the same time period in the hour to hour and 15 minute time range. You're trying to get all that work done. Reason being is because uh, I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent shown, but they believe that, an hour of training is the optimal time for testosterone serum, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure if that's hundred percent true or not, but that's just, it's also good because now you're increasing that type of, without even doing GPP work, trying to, in, trying to put all of that training bunched into an hour and 15 minutes is, is conditioning in its own right. So, when you're trying to increase your force development, you're at a lot of times, uh, not a lot of times, not a lot of times, but what's what's generally what's generally um, accepted is varied loading uh, or accommodating resistance. Varied loading, accommodating resistance, same thing. When you're talking about hitting percentages and 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 that kind of thing, because you want to be able to move the weight as fast as possible. Uh, what Louis Simmons prescribed is 40, 45, sorry, I apologize, 50, 55, 60, with 25% of band tension um, through each week. And then, of course, trying to hit the optimal rep ranges that Prilipin, Prilipin uh, suggested in his, in his chart that a lot of people, if you don't know that chart, you should look at it because it, it shows the optimal number of repetitions, optimal, maximal, and a minimal 
amount of repetitions per uh, sets and reps per per percentage range. Um, and if you do that, you hit 75, 80, and 85%, which is what's optimal, I believe, for speed strength or strength speed. And that is what Louis believes is um, the best form of dynamic effort. But there's also there's also a guy named Matt Wenning. If you know who Matt Wenning is, he believes using 30, 35, and 40%. I Don't quote me on that. It could be 40, 45, or 50%. I'm not sure if it's one of the two, but he believes in using a lower percentage on the bar weight because he wants to be able to move the weight as fast as possible, like one meter per second, um, one meter per second as opposed to 0.7 to 0.8 meters per second. I tend to agree in some way because a lot of those numbers that Perlipin was talking about or Malek, or uh, Medvedev, another Russian sports scientist, they were using their methods on Olympic weightlifters who, when they go super heavy or when they're doing their max effort training, they were doing it with cleans and snatches and stuff like that where if you are looking at the speed of a clean or speed of a snatch, even if you're going max effort, it's going to be way faster than a max effort squat or a max effort deadlift or a max effort bench. Because if you can't move the weight fast, even if it is max effort, you're not going to stand up with it and you're not going to be able to get it over your head. So he believes that he has to hit the percentages. uh, The percentages, if you were to look or the load number is really, really high on your max effort day. So you want to drop the load a little bit more on your dynamic effort day to avoid injury and to avoid overtraining. And I don't agree. I don't disagree with it. I don't disagree with it at all. Um, I would, I like to stay between the 40, 45 and 50 just because it splits the difference and I see, I see my athletes improving and I see myself improving when I do it as well. So, so just because the, the, the spirit of dynamic effort method is to move weight as fast as possible. You're trying to move the weight as quickly as you can. The load is not that big of a deal. The speed in which you're moving the load is more important than anything else. So that's, that's number one. Um, so moving away from that, uh, if you can increase your rate of force development, um, or the time in which you can produce force, um, that's going to carry over into your max effort, which will increase your max effort throughout the week. So they play off each other really well. Now, it, it seems like an extremely complicated training system and, and, for those who are who have never done it before, I can see it. When I first done it, when I first started doing it, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where the bands were supposed to go. I didn't know how the bands were supposed to set up. I didn't understand any of that. There are tons of training videos on the internet that will show you how to set up bands and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I first started, I didn't have it. And I just kind of looked at, and again, Louie would say that he, they had no idea what they were doing either when they set it up because they, they, 
they just put together this they just found these jump stretch bands and put them on the monolith and and tried to figure out how it worked but a lot of times when people when you're trying to uh, when you put bands on the bar bands or chains moving into accommodating resistance bands or chains mainly bands because they're constantly pushing you down they're constantly being pulled down into the floor from wherever they're attached constantly uh chains are more of a dead weight they 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 unload when you when you go down and they reload when you go up but but um there's a constant tension on bands and that constant tension serves to increase your overspeed on your eccentric part of your movement and that is going to be returned back when you stand back up or press the bar back up and that is the obviously if you don't know what the short straight short lengthening cycle is that's what it's all about your your muscles act like an elastic band itself if you drop down quick you could you're going to be able to come back up quicker or just as quick now the bands are trying to teach you how to drop faster in a more controlled state they will throw you around if you're using too heavy of a band tension that's number one disclaimer don't try to put a blue band on the bar if you know what a blue band is or uh, every every single company makes a different makes a different color um sequencing for their bands and stuff but generally speaking a blue band i believe is two inches in width two two in a two inches or two and a quarter inches in width and i believe that at a certain height it'll give you about 120 to 150 maybe even 180 pounds of band tension on one side of the bar so if you do it on the other you're talking about 300 bands to 250 240 to 300 pounds or more pounds of band tension, which is which is going to be way higher than 25% of the majority of people out there. And not to mention that trying to pull a, a, a blue band onto a squat is a pain in the ass. And if you've never done bands before, it's going to hurt you. So let's get that out of the way you got to figure out where your band tension lies in terms of the poundages. You can do that a couple of ways. You can do it by hanging weight on the bands from above to lower to figure out the distance. You can stand on a scale, pull it to a pull it to the height that it's supposed to be at. That's another way. Uh, and if you're doing it for the deadlift, you can put, put the bands on, put the deadlift scale, stand on the deadlift scale and stand up. And then take it, put it down, take the bands off, stand up with the weight, or put the or put just weigh yourself, and then subtract the bar weight, and uh, and then there's your band tension. There's your band tension. You're the bar weight and your and your body weight. Um. Now, when you have all these numbers, you want to try to get as close to twenty five percent of your max in whatever movement you're doing. Uh, in order to really get that number, that uh, that twenty five percent number, 
onto your dynamic effort because you don't really want to, you, you may want to, if you're going to, if you find that, if you find that your bands are not really necessarily equaling up to 25%, you can do two things. You can either increase the band tension to 30%, depending on what the numbers are, or decrease and decrease the bar weight, or increase the bar weight and decrease the band tension, but not more than 5% in either direction. At least that's my, that's my, that's in my opinion. Um, so now you understand that when you increase your force development, it, inc it improves your ability to move weight, it improves your ability to move faster, and then when you apply that into max effort method, it now increases that F. F will get larger because you're training both sides of the equation. So we understand max effort, we understand dynamic effort. Now, when it comes to when it comes, I apologize, my phone's ringing. Um, hold on. I should have turned off the ringer. Wait for it. Okay. Now, I apologize again. Now, you, you understand your max effort. You understand your dynamic effort. What do you do after you do those movements? The program design is generally the same, but the problem is, is that a lot of athletes or a lot of coaches out there do not look at the individual and figure out where their weaknesses lie. They believe that you should do one hamstring movement that's in compound form, and then you should do three or four accessory movements that, uh, that attack your posterior chain, um, but nothing specific when I'm talking, I'm talking about lower body day. If you're a good coach out there, you need to look at your athlete's weaknesses. Who cares about what they can do good? Talk. Let's talk about what they can do bad or what they're doing shitty or where they're missing something or what's weak. If they have a problem in the squat that they their upper back rounds over, everything else is fine. Their head stays up. Their shoulders, their elbows are down. Their butt goes back. Their niche, their knee angle, their, their shank... Um, their shank angle is relatively straight. Everything else seems okay, but their upper back rounds. Where's their weakness? Their upper back. What can you do to improve it? My favorite movement to do on on when it comes to like not necessarily the upper back, but just below the upper back where the erectors start is a seated round back. Good morning. So you sit down on a box. You take the you, with a safety bar specifically. You take the weight off the rack, you sit down on the box, you stick your feet out in front of you, put your heels up so you can't get any leg drive, you round over on your upper back, bend over a bit, unround un your back, and you sit up. And you do that for sets of 8 to 12. Um, now a lot of people will be like, that's dangerous. It can be if you overload it. But that's not the point here. Your point is to build up that part of the bot, that part of the back, in order to make it so that when they squat, they don't fail at that position. So if they don't fail at that position, they're, you're automatically going to increase their squat because everything else was fine. Now let's say they have a problem sitting back. That generally means that they have weak hamstrings. A lot of people will be like, "Oh, well, that's a that's a mobility issue." Maybe, 
But from my experience, the fact that they can't stick their butt back is indication that their hamstrings are weak. What can you do to increase your hamstrings? There are so many things you can do. You can go glute ham raise, reverse hypers, 45 degree back extensions, um, sled, sled walking, uh, Good pull throughs, more good mornings, um, RDLs, straight leg deadlifts. There's so many stuff. There's so many things that you can do to increase your hamstrings. Um, I believe, and this is this, I think this is true. I think a lot of people agree with me that the postural muscles in a lot of people nowadays are super weak. They're, they're probably the weakest they've ever been in history because we always sit at desks. We sit at desks. We sit down all day. We're never activating uh, any of those muscles throughout the day until we get to the gym or whatever the case may be. So this is why your accessory movements and your supplemental movements are so important and trying to do them almost every single day in some form or fashion, not necessarily loaded or extremely heavy, but to put some work into them every day as much as possible. In order to combat all that sitting we do, all day long hamstrings i believe are some of the weakest muscles nowadays on a lot of people which just completely destroys people's squats and deadlifts because if you don't have a good set of hamstrings you're talking about trying to pull with put squat with all your quad muscles that are now overdeveloped and you're going to get knee problems hip problems ankle problems you name it so really drive into that type of training there's so much information out there that you can use to increase your hamstring strength, your glute strength, your uh, your rectors, uh, and et cetera. Now, when it comes to benching or, or over upper body strength, um, when it comes to your accessory movements, I like to put in an overhead movement just because I believe that's a natural human, uh, that's a natural human movement is to push stuff over your head. Uh, I'm a big believer in adding overhead press as a second dynamic movement on dynamic effort day. So you're going to do your benching variation and then you're going to do an overhead variation, just like you're going to do a deadlift variation right after your squatting variation uh, on dynamic effort day. Um, And then after that, it's mostly lats, upper back and triceps. A lot of people don't 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 think that benching is a arm movement, but the majority of the range of motion is completed with your arms. If you have weak arms, you're going to have a weak bench. And when I'm talking about your arms, I'm specifically talking about your triceps. Doing dips, um, sled walks with a tricep extension. So you're, every time you you tricep extend uh, and then you walk, tricep extend, you walk, tricep extend, you walk. Um, banded tricep stuff. Uh, there's a variety of tricep ex- ex- uh, things, but pull-ups, uh, rows, row variations, um, and all those things, you need to be really driving a lot of your volume into your posterior chain when you're even talking about your benching because you're trying to counteract you, you all of the muscles on the front of your body. If you can really have a base on which you're you really have a base in which your bench can come off of, which is your upper back. When you keep it really tight and you have everything locked in, all you're really all the only movement that's coming from is from your 
your arm moving down and your arm moving up. If you have any elbow flaring or crazy stuff like that, when we're talking about benching, you're going to lose poundages and you're going to be ineffective. So when you're doing your accessory movements on your bench, look at the athletes, see where they're weak, attack that weakness first, increase your upper back strength, your tricep strength, and of course you can do some chest stuff, of course, do some bicep stuff for injury prevention, um, increase your forearm strength because the harder you can squeeze onto the bar, the better. Um, and then for the lower body, hamstrings, uh, erectors, and um, hamstrings, erectors, and glutes are the three things that really need to be focused on. Your quads will get strong just by the fact that you are squatting. All the muscles on the back of you are always going to be the ones that propel you forward. So that's that and then on the the one of the last things i would say that you everyone needs to do is increase their core um their ability to do abs in some form or fashion so what i mean by that is find three or four ab variations that you do often throughout the week to increase your core's ability to uh brace uh leg raises are good like hanging leg raises uh, banded standing ab crunches. That's another good one. Um, ab wheel stuff. That's great as well. Uh, and planks, but planks doing uh, them hard style, quote unquote, or they're called RKC planks. Check those out. You're literally putting all your effort into an RKC, into a plank for 10 seconds and repeating it about five to six times. doesn't sound difficult, but it is. Uh, and and that's it. Literally, I'll in other episodes I'll, I'll get more in depth about other things. But I believe it's important that, uh, at least in my opinion, this has been the best way to train myself and to train my athletes, because you're talking about taking the equation of force, the force equation, and working both sides of it to increase that F, because. If you can increase the the amount of force you can produce, no matter what sport you're in, you're going to be improved. And it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. If you can increase the amount of force you can produce as an athlete, you're always going to be a better athlete. Uh, so that's been today's episode. Please leave a comment below uh, if, uh, if you have any questions. Um, I'm not necessarily the greatest at this yet. It might have seemed like I was jumping around, and I apologize. But if you if you like the stuff, let me know. If you hated it, you let me know. If you want to combat me on some of this, the stuff I'm talking about, I'd love to have a conversation about it. Uh, I'm not closed-minded to anything because I've gone through undulating periodization, normal linear progression, um, conjugate, you name it. I've probably tried it, 531. Uh, and, uh, and, yeah, so if you have any questions or if you want to debate me on stuff or if you want to have a conversation about this, I'm all for it. Let's have that conversation. I love to talk to coaches. I love to talk to athletes. And, uh, and if you guys ever, if you guys are out there and you want to have a conversation with me and make it an episode, we can do that also. Um, but yeah, that's been the first episode of the grid over gift podcast. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Stay strong.